Grab your seat. It is great to see everybody chatting. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here. Uh, and this will just be like two minutes probably. So if you want to, jeez. Uh, I would love to see you at the Film Fest meeting. If you want to come, just learn. It's been a, uh, a joy. We were just reminiscing this morning, uh, some friends about all the years of doing those videos and the fun we had making them. I don't know if that always got translated in watching them, like if you saw the fun, but yeah, we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs and did some silly things together that we normally probably wouldn't do. So I encourage you, love to see you for just a few minutes to chat through that after the service. Um, I actually, so I, I was gonna ask this question about sliding on ice. Uh, it actually has some, a lot to do with what we're talking about uh, today. And then I was getting out of the van this morning to bring in like a, a tote of stuff. Uh, and I was holding, I was trying to hold my coffee and hold the tote. And I'm like, I don't want to take two trips. And I thought, what's, I mean, right? This, <laughs> and I literally got out of the car thinking about, oh, I can't wait to watch that slippy, that video where people are sliding on ice. <laughs> and I hopped out of the, I like hopped out very confidently out of the van today and slipped and tried to grab my coffee and it spilled and covered our, uh, I don't think Sadie even knows this. Uh, this week we washed all the black uh, tablecloths we use because they get coffee and stuff on them. <laughs> and I pre, pre-stained it before we brought it back. I was like, okay, awesome. <laughs> awesome. I was like, it's perfect. I have slipped on ice two hours ago uh, outside, outside the school. And now I'm going to sue the school. So it's perfect. It all works out. No. That's a good like, combination of reactions. We got a boo and a, and a laugh. <laughs> I'm not, we're not student school. Um, I asked this question though, because it, it's that time of year. And this last week we had, I think we all maybe felt, I felt like I couldn't even get snow away fast enough from my driveway. There was already ice. Uh, and we live on our, our driveway to our house is a little bit of a hill. And so I have experienced many times the slide down the driveway where I'm just, I got no hope. I'm just, I guess I'm in it for the ride. I'm going to slide into the street uh, m- multiple times having to walk, uh, in crocs through snow in my yard because I can't get up my driveway <laughs> after I have to bring the garbage can down or get in the mail or, or something. That feeling though of that, I think we all have a sense that I was surprised when people raised their hand, they've already slipped on ice um, or fallen this year. That feeling of, of sliding that, that is, there's so many parts of that that connect to, I think, very real life in other areas, right? This feeling of, of not knowing it's gonna happen, thinking your feet are gonna land on firm ground and instead they slide. You, the feeling of like you're pulling a muscle uh, and you don't want to uh, as you're trying to just walk. The feeling of thinking that the sidewalk is dry and it's not, that, that feeling of being just out of control of your feet flailing and thinking, I, uh, the only option I have here is to fall or slide down my driveway. The feeling of even sliding away from something. Uh, that, that feeling of knowing like I want to be there, but I feel like I'm going farther away from this and I can't stop it. Uh, and my only future seems to be in, in the grass in my driveway or sliding into my, um, my road. The feeling of chaos that the legs, the guy with his legs fly up in the air and his flip-flops fly off is so perfect. That's for sure a place they don't like get snow because he's, he's got shorts on and he's going outside. Uh, this is one of those ice storm situations. But that feeling of like everything, I thought I was just strolling outside to check the mail and my flip-flops are off and I'm on my back and I'm hurt and my coffee is spilled. 
It just, in life though. Um, this feeling of uh, slipping on ice is one I think I felt as I've talked to someone who maybe just had their first kid. You say, how's it going? And they're like, it's, it's okay, we're <laughs> surviving. <laughs> maybe this would be a way you'd explain. It feels like we're just slipping and sliding and just trying to hold on. Maybe it's a, a situation you felt in a relationship or maybe at work or just in general at life that, that the environment seems to be icy and slippery and I, I can't get my footing, I can't get my foundation, uh, I can't get established. I think the things I do in that situation, when things feel like that in, in life around me, I often just try, like, try harder, I kick faster, I, I grab for things. Sometimes I just go with it, I just say, well, I guess I'm just gonna slide away from this thing the thing that I want to be close to, the place I'm trying to get to, I guess it's just not going to happen. Sometimes I grab others with me and, and kind of take them with me. Sometimes they actually help, others help me. But many times I have slipped and grabbed uh, my wife or a kid <laughs> and thinking that my little kid was going to like somehow anchor me <laughs> and they uh, just come with me. I just pull them with me. I think there's times I'll just hold on to anything around me that might give me anchor, even if it's like temporarily anchor, just whatever it is, I'm feeling chaotic, I'm feeling out of control. I just need something, right? That's where I get myself in trouble sometimes as I grab onto anything that will get me out of this slippery situation, this unstable situation, even if it's also not helpful. So that's our hope today is that the, as we jump into the book of Romans, we are in a series in the book of Romans for a while here and uh, we're just getting in, in the beginning of it. And today, Paul reminds us um, of really a gift that God has given us that helps give us, uh, establishes us, gives us a, a firm footing, something that helps us not slide away or, or kick our feet frantically or feel chaotic or even feel like we're just gonna fall and crash. Uh, he gives us today uh, some answers to that. And, and I'm really encouraged again by this this week. And I think we all probably experience this a lot. And I think he kind of gives some words and a framework to it that's gonna help us, uh, hopefully ch challenge us, encourage us, uh, remind us uh, something for all people in all time, the thing that ultimately uh, can do that for us. And so if you wanna flip to your Bibles, we're gonna be in the beginning of Romans, uh, in Romans one, right in the beginning. A couple things uh, we keep mentioning, but just so you know, we have resources on our website. There is a podcast that our senior pastor, Steve is doing where he's walking through Romans together. I've been really blessed by that. And then we also actually have bought all of you these scripture journals. We ran out of them and they uh, were shipped to us. Uh, they came Friday to our downtown location, but I don't think anyone was there to pick them up. So they're coming tomorrow <laughs> when someone can uh, receive them. So the, next week we'll have uh, a bunch more of these. If you didn't get one, they're great. They're uh, one side's like a journal, one side's scripture. And we'd love for you to have this to walk through Romans with us as we go. All right, so here we go. Uh, this is a picture of kind of first century, uh, the, the landscape of Rome. I think this is helpful. I, it, it gets me kind of in the place. This is where it laid out, they actually call this the seven hills of Rome. Uh, and because in that area, the, as the river comes through, uh, there's area that ends up over time flooding and little rivers that form. And so you can kind of see this, right? And these seven hills or high, kind of higher areas in, the, in town have formed. And over time then, those were the places where they would build palaces and the wealthier people, the more powerful people would have their beautiful homes. In fact, often if, we, if you think of like ancient Rome and you think of the beautiful homes, 
and like the, the lavish life that's even like we model even some architecture now after. Uh, we're th- you're thinking of that, those places on the seven hills in Rome, in the city of Rome. And then below that, which, which is typical in kind of landscapes of cities, uh, as you get more into areas that might flood or the land's not as great, um, or just even visually, there's something important sometimes uh, in, in a culture where the people who have power and wealth actually like to live above, right? You actually literally want to look down uh, on those around them. And so uh, the people maybe who had less, the people who are working, uh, the poor, the servants, those people were living in the valleys here in this area. And so I share that because uh, they believe probably historically um, the church that Paul wrote this letter to, he writes this letter to the church in Rome, probably was meeting uh, because of the, <clears throat> it wasn't a popular necessary religion. There probably wasn't that many people even at that time that were in this church. Uh, the gospel was changing lives. These people were probably meeting uh, on a street in a small home. There was actually kind of apartments, kind of buildings with lots of little homes in them. And they may have just been meeting in one of those little homes. So I, kind of, I want you to picture that. They're literally sitting geographically, probably in a lower place, looking up at very powerful people. In fact, maybe some of the most powerful people in the whole world at the time. The people who were, who were running the Roman Empire around them in their palaces, in actually like architecture, uh, architectural, like uh, visually uh, images of the power and, and the wealth and the influence. And so they're looking up at these people uh, and then they would gather together most likely in these homes, maybe a couple different groups or maybe there's times they could all kind of get together, but they gathered one day in a home. They probably ate a meal together and they read this letter together. Their friend Paul, some of them had maybe met and some had never met. A guy who had not actually been there with them in person, but was wanting to encourage them in this good news and this gospel, wrote them a letter. And so they gathered as a church to sing, to pray, to, to point each other to Jesus. And they read this letter of Romans together. Just, I mean, imagine that, right? They're, they're, they're in this room together, in this place, in this bustling city, all of them together, a family, as all the noise and the, and, and the people around them uh, go about their lives. They're together in this place reading this letter. And so we already read the beginning of this letter as it introduced who Paul was. And uh, he ultimately tells them their identity, what his identity is, and then reminds them to of, hey, I'm writing this letter to all of you who are loved by God and called to be saints. Last week, we were reminded of this, that we were people who are rescued from something, from death and darkness to something, not just rescued, but rescued to a new life, to a family. Of, uh, and we get to know who we are and what we're supposed to do and who we will become one day in our hope. So Paul starts his letter. So they're sitting together and they're hearing this letter. Paul introduces himself and he says, remember who we are. We're people who've been rescued through the work of Christ. And then he continues on his letter. I want you to feel that. There's a warmth there. There's a family there. And as he continues his letter, that, that continues. So now we're in Romans 1. Today, we're gonna look at 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. This is Paul speaking to this church, these people. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Can you feel that there's like a pastoral uh, manner about this? I love this. He, He starts a lot of his letters this way. We're gonna just walk through these quickly, uh, I think, and then hopefully be encouraged by, by something Paul's telling us here. As we start here, first verse here, uh, verse eight, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. What, what a way to, to welcome you in, to disarm you, to encourage you. He says, I'm thanking God for you, church. They're sitting together in this home in Rome this church of people, people who maybe would never have been connected except for the fact that they have put their faith in Christ. And he says, oh, I'm thanking God for your faith, for your belief, for you to say yes to Jesus and the work that he has done to rescue us and the hope that we have that he'll come back and make things right. He says this in a lot of those letters that he's written to his churches. And I think it's an incredible way to, to get this letter going. This actually historically as letters, the style that letters were written in the time, this would have been normal. This would have been the part of the letter where they would have said, this is who I am. And then they would actually usually thank the gods and say, I'm thankful to the gods for these things. And so in that same kind of style, he says, I'm thankful to the true God through Jesus, who we have access to for all of you and your faith and your commitment to that. This is, uh, he also says in here an interesting phrase, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Uh, does that mean he thinks maybe that they somehow have like reached the world? They had enough like followers that like everyone's watched their videos. I, I, don't, I don't know if he actually means world, world, like every person in the world. But right before this, we heard actually that our call was to be loved by God, changed by God and become saints. And it says proclaim to all nations this good news. And so it feels like a continuation of that. He's saying your faith, the faith that you have, is one that is, gonna, is being proclaimed to the world as you know Jesus and as you continue to tell people this good news and we see it uh, ripple out. We see it multiply out as your church uh, raises people up. And as those people go and we're seeing churches, literally at this time, they're seeing churches planted, people moving and people starting new churches and new communities and new towns. It's, it's amazing because he writes this then. And today we know, we, we stand here today in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, which wasn't a thing, uh, then, right? There was not a Columbiaites, Minnesota, but today, thousands of years later, we stand because of that multiplication of those people, uh, the proclamation of their faith happened. It's incredible. So he's thankful for them. And he says, actually, I'm so thankful for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, I, pr- I pray for you all the time. I thank God all the time. I say, 
thank you for these people in Rome. Thanks for my family that's in Rome. I haven't even seen them in person. Thank you for them. And for the, the things you're doing through them and in them and that for their faith in Christ. He shows such a great love for these people and, and says, I just, I can't wait to see you. You've probably got, maybe got a letter like this or a text like this or a friend. Maybe you, you've said this yourself. I just can't wait to see you. I cannot wait to be in your presence. I love you so much. And I just want to be with you. And, and Paul feels the same way. It's, he sees a family and these are people he doesn't necessarily even have a long connected relationship, but there's something about the gospel that brings us together and connects us. And so he's encouraging them. I am thankful for you and I pray and I can't wait. Hopefully soon I can come and actually see you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I long to see you. Again, imagine them sitting around reading this, maybe even moments pausing and looking at each other and like, gosh, I hope he, I hope he can get here soon. I can't wait to meet Paul and, and hear about what God's been doing in his life and for us to share what we're doing in our lives. And he, he explains that right here. He says, I wanna come impart to you some, uh, some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Other translation says to, to uh, establish you, to encourage you, And then he qualifies, he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul here isn't saying, I'm gonna come because I know a bunch of stuff and you clearly need like a pastor there. And so I'm gonna come and I'll teach you a bunch of stuff. It's gonna be great. He's saying, I'm coming because my own faith, what God's doing in me and my hope in the gospel in Christ, I hope can encourage you and establish you can strengthen you. This word strengthen, actually it's even connected to a word that's like anchoring you. So when when you feel like you're sliding away, it holds you. When you feel like the wind is pushing you over, it holds you. When you feel like things are shaky and chaotic, this holds you. It's a word that we use often to even describe Jesus. You hear this in the book of Hebrews and all over, and we hear all over in the Psalms, this word, this foundation, it, it plants you firmly. And when we get together, you're gonna help do that for me. And I wanna help do that for you. And we're gonna be shaky and we're gonna be unsure, but we're gonna keep reminding each other of this good God that we have and this great story of Christ. And we'll do that together. This, this passage was read to me once uh, in a moment that I was uh, uh, younger. I, I was a new youth person in a church. Uh, I almost said pastor. I was not a pastor technically. And so I was just young and cool and I'd worked at camp. And so they let me work at their church <laughs> through youth ministry. That was kind of the, I could play guitar and throw a Frisbee and I would hang out with the high school kids when other people didn't want to. <laughs> so we were hanging out and I went to meet with other youth uh, pastors and workers. Uh, and there was this luncheon for other people in the area. And we had lunch and I sat at a table with, I ended up sitting at a table just with uh, other people who were younger. There was like old people who did youth ministry. And we thought, weird, why are you old and still doing it? We're so cool and we're young. Uh, And I really thought I was very cool. And uh, so I sat at this table with others. And and really what we ended up doing is complaining a lot. We kind of, maybe this happens to you when you kind of meet with other people in your thing in, in like you talk shop. And so we ended up complaining about high school kids. 
oh, could you believe this kid's so silly? They thought this. And then I had a kid into this, it's so silly. And people just kept swapping stories of how silly these kids were. And then it kind of turns into like, man, I'm glad they have us because we can really pour into them and teach them. And uh, we didn't notice that there was an old guy at the table. He had to be like 40 at least. Uh, and I remember because he was wearing a button-up shirt and khakis and I was like, there's no kid who will talk to this guy. And he said, uh, have you guys not read Romans 1? And we're like, what? Which I should have known. That's like code for like actual wise uh, mentor in your life when they're like, do not read the Bible. Uh, and he read this passage to us. We're sitting at this table complaining about these kids and, and he read this passage to us and he actually read from Romans 8. And he said, we read this passage that you may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both, you, both yours and mine. And he said, do you believe that the Holy Spirit can change our hearts, give us faith, and that a 14-year-old kid could be used to encourage you to follow Jesus? And I said, uh, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> he said, it just didn't sound like we believed that. I, I'll, I'll like, never, ever forget it. I don't even, I don't know who this is. He probably was like an angel that was sent in button-up shirt and khakis. It just, it just killed the conversation, but in like a good way. We all left, I thought like, I just learned an incredible lesson. I'll never forget it. And how cool today I get to preach from this and be reminded of that. But I think what, what an opportunity. Paul here, who, who could say, I, I experienced Jesus. He came to me and changed me, radically changed me. And God's been using me and my gifts to plant churches. And ultimately, Paul becomes this father of the church. And he says, I wanna come to you, not because I'm gonna come and bring uh, all this important stuff to you, but because I know that when we're in the room together, we're gonna encourage one another, whoever you are, we're gonna encourage one another to follow Jesus. I think, I think of this even when I sit with my kids. I remember when they were younger, we would sit at the table and I'd try really hard to, trick him into doing a Bible study at dinner. Uh, and it's like, oh, I read this passage and we're, and we're talking about it. And, um, and then they would say something that was like exactly what God wanted me to hear. And I'd, I remember the, the urge to push it away. Like, yeah, you're four though. You don't know what that's like. And they say, but dad, don't we, don't you just need Jesus? And you're like, yeah, but me too. Like I'm pretty awesome too. And I remember thinking this and thinking of that man who sat by me at that table going, no, 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 God can use this person because that faith is not dependent on them, but on the spirit. So Paul encourages us in this. He wants to come and say, hey, this church together, this is what you get to do together. You're sitting in a room together. Look around that room. Those people are gonna help you hold and be established, not slide down your driveways. They're, they're gonna help hold you to the one thing that we have that's a foundation. All right, he continues on though. Um, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well um, as among the rest of the Gentiles. So again, he says this, I, I really do wanna be with you. There, there's such benefit to be together. It's so important if I can come, I've been prevented, but I want to, and I want to so that we may reap some harvest among you as among the rest of the Gentiles. There's this language that's used for this reaping of harvest. It's a, a term we actually see a lot in the Bible and Jesus uses a lot in, in the gospels. This idea that God is growing his people and that there's this fruit 
and that God comes, this, this phrase is really, I see there's a, there's a place where God is working in people and we wanna pro- proclaim the gospel and see people's lives changed. New life come about. And so we wanna see people rescued from something and to something. And he says, I wanna come be with you so I can see that in your lives and also the, the rest of the people around you. I wonder in this moment, even if people, someone in that group, as they're listening to this letter, glances out the window, maybe even glances, it happens to be a, a view through a couple buildings and up on top of the hill and they can even see the palace. I wonder if there's a moment where they, they think, wow, is he saying like the gospel could even come outside of our group and to my neighbors, but even to the people who run this place, the ones that maybe even seem far from God, the ones that are running temples that worship other gods. Paul wants to come see like the gospel changed all these people. What an incredible thing. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I think he clarifies a little more. What I mean is, and he gives some categories that I think just help give a, a large sweeping view so that, you know, he means like everybody. He means the Greeks and the barbarians, which would have been a term for the people who are, who are not Greek, who maybe seemed foolish, maybe the people even who like lived in the outskirts of the city, like the ones who lived, you know, out there in their like, you know, the people who live out there who don't live in the city, who aren't as smart, maybe as educated as culture. They're not the influencers. He says, not, I want the people right here and I want the people right there. And he says, and I want the people who you think are wise and I want the ones that you think are foolish. All of them, the gospels for all of them. And I wanna see all of them come to find faith in Christ and to find hope and joy and to find life in Christ. I, I love this because there's moments where Paul says these things and I think in reading it, I go like, oh, that's cool. The Greeks and the barbarians get to, to do that. But if you put some words in there, maybe that, that we use more often, maybe just even you can do it in your own mind right now. What are the, what are the like two categories, right? We're really good, right? In our culture, right? Of this, like creating the two categories and saying like, well, those are way ends, they'll never, there's nothing that'll ever bring them together or connect them or nothing that can reach both of them. Whether that's like politically or sports teams, or maybe people who live in the city and people who don't live in the city. Just, I was just talking to someone how, as soon as I go visit like family who lives in rural areas, they're always like, what's it like with all those city people? And then I come home and I'm like, oh, I visited family. And they're like, oh, what was it like with all those people who live on the woods? And you're like, well, they're kind of like you. <laughs> they ask the same question. They're scared of you and you're scared of them. And I think Paul is trying to encourage his church here to say, hey, let's not forget the gospels for all of them. And I can't wait to come and be encouraged by you. And together we get to bring this good news that people no longer have to slip and slide. They no longer have to fall over and over. They no longer have to feel themselves uh, sliding away from hope and for peace and joy, that there's this great, great news. Uh, Tim Keller summarizes this passage, this part of, of, of Romans like this. Everyone needs the gospel, both you inside the church and you who are yet, uh, are yet outside it. I love that he says yet, like you don't, you don't know, but we hope you'll be into 
The gospel is the way people are called to faith and the way people grow in faith. So Paul here, I think in Romans, is encouraging us and reminding the church in Rome and us today that the gospel is the thing that changed us. Like the, the, That's the good news that came that, hey, you are, you, you are a sinner and you're looking for love and approval and comfort and joy and peace and you're and you find yourself slipping or maybe you think you have it and you found yourself that you've slid way far away or you find a, a chaos around you and this is the thing, this is it. This is what your heart's desire, what you're created for. And you say yes to Jesus and then we find ourselves within the church, within the family. And then I think we can sometimes forget as most of us in the room, being followers of Jesus, we think, okay, that was the gospel. I'm glad those people needed it. And I'm glad I'm not one of those people now. And now we just kind of like hang out. But Paul here is saying, no, no, that's the same gospel. Every day I wake up and I need to hear that same news again. I need to wake up and God has to go, Drew, you still are broken. You still need me. I will still be the source of peace and joy. I will still be the satisfaction of your heart. I will still give you everything that you're looking for and I will give you a family to do that in, but it doesn't change. In fact, I think that's the story that even I know some of us in the room, that's the story that drew us into the church is that we got to witness people doing that. Witness people caring and loving for each other in that way. People saying like, I'm really not a big deal. And Jesus is, and, and being attracted to that and being drawn into that. And Paul here reminds us of that good news that Jesus and his good news and his rescue and his kingdom and his hope is what all of us need, wherever we are. And that every day we get to just keep preaching that same good news to us, to each other. And so this whole passage all together, I think reminds us of this great news, this great hope that is for all of us. And Paul here is, is encouraging us how important it is that we have all of us. That he hasn't just, he doesn't just preach the gospel and then say, okay, now go back and keep reminding yourself of that. He knows that we are people who deceive ourselves, people who walk away from the Lord, people who believe lies about who we are, who others are. And he says, we need one another each day to say, hey, remember the one who is good and loves us. This foundation that we can hold on to, this rock that we can stand on. Actually, all over scripture, we hear about this rock and this, this foundation that we can stand on. And this is what we're reminding each other when we're together. Just a few of these passages that remind us this. In Psalm 18, two, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. All those great words, fortress and rock and stronghold and shield, refuge, deliverer. This is what we're reminding each other of. Not, not necessarily getting together and saying, man, I need some tips on this. We get together and say, if nothing else, I need you to remind me that Jesus is good, cares for me and loves me, has made me for good things. Remind me ultimately of what we talked about last week, what our identity is. Over and over, I need that. Jesus talks in Matthew, he gives us this cool vision uh, when he's given uh, one of his famous sermons. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's that word again. Then rain came down and streams rose and winds blew and beat against the house. And then it got cold and it got icy, <laughs> right? There's a storm, 
But because it was, it had its foundation on the rock, it did not fall. It didn't slip away. It didn't lose its footing and fall and break a rib, right? It, because its foundation was on the rock, the thing that is firm and doesn't change and, and actually holds us and brings us life, it didn't fall. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. I wonder if Jesus and his disciples were like in a colder climate, this would have been maybe a different story. It would have been, there would have been some ice involved. Again, right, we're reminded of this rock that is Jesus that our foundation is on. In 1 Corinthians 3, actually hear uh, some of that harvest language. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You hear that language I was using? We're doing work. We're, we're, we're involved with each other in each other's lives. I'm planting the gospel seeds. I'm doing work to remind people of the faith and the good news in this gospel. And, and, and Apollos is watering it. He's encouraging it. But ultimately, it's, God's the one who actually makes this thing grow up. So we get to gather and, and plant and, and water, but God is gonna work in us. And then the one who, uh, the one who plants and the one who waters have, have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their own labor for we're co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. But the grace, here's the part, right? Here's back to the rock and foundation. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. When we gather, this is, this is what we do. We lay the foundation of Christ over and over in each other's lives. Over and over. Carl Bart says, I, I love how he, his, his commentary on this passage uh, really encouraged me, really discouraged me. And then I read it again, and then I was very encouraged. I'll explain how that happened. A man may be of value to another man, but not because he wishes to be important, not because he possesses some inner wealth of soul, not because of something he is, but because of what he is not. His importance may consist in his poverty, in his hopes and fears, in his waiting and hurrying, in the direction of his whole being towards what lies beyond his horizon, beyond his power. I read that and I said, oh, thanks, Carl. Uh, my value is in that I am not valuable. <laughs> my value is in my poverty. My value is in my hurrying. My value is in, he says, what lies beyond me, the power that lies beyond me. In fact, the next passage in Romans tells us that the power that we have is in the gospel alone. And so first I read this and I went, oh, it's, it's hard. I think in a culture where I'm told over and over, like your values and how awesome you are and how much you can do, and how many people follow you and how much influence you have and, and how, many, how many likes you get, how, much do, how, how comfortable you are. In, that, in a culture that I feel like I'm being told that a lot around me, encouraged in that, it, this hurts. And I read it and I went, oh, that's a little harsh, I think, Carl. And I sat and went, let me read it again. 
And then I'm reminded again of the words of Paul and I'm reminded actually the value I have when, I meet, when we meet together is not that I bring a lot to the table, but it's that I remind, we remind each other of the one who does bring everything to the table, the one who does have the power. And that releases an incredible burden off of my shoulders. That, re- that releases an incredible parenting burden off of my shoulders. And I go and I sit down with my kids. I don't have to have it all figured out. A friend just recently uh, encouraged me. When you sit down, you're having a discussion, remind your daughter that you also don't know how to be a parent of a 14-year-old, that you're just learning too. And I said, oh, she doesn't need to know that. <laughs> and they're like, she knows that. <laughs> She's well aware you don't know what you're doing. But that was like an incredible gift of grace lifted off of me. And I'm sitting with my wife and I'm like, I don't always know what to do. And my great value is that I can say, I don't know what to do either. And you, you don't know what to do, but we know someone who does, who can give us the power and the courage and the grace, the forgiveness, give us the patience, give us the strength. I think we're often looking for the wisest, best, most experienced. And we know we have that in Christ, in his Holy Spirit. And the God who raised Jesus from the dead comes and his spirit is among, among us. And so I think Paul says that when he's gathered with the people, he says, I can come to you with lots of experience and, and lots of know-how, but what matters is that we're together and we can keep pointing people to the one, the gracious one who does know and does love us and does hold power. And so as that church gathers together inside those walls, that's what they do. We, we use the phrase a lot uh, that we are following Jesus together because that in the end is what we do. And that's kind of all we know. And so when I, when I go to my small group and hang out with my friends in small group, uh, I expect people there who will love me and care for me and say, I, I don't know if I know either, but let's, let's open our Bibles and be reminded of the one who does know and the one who will empower me and the one who does care for me and the one who will return one day and make things right. That's what I really need, really need, really, really need. In a time where I can watch uh, a video on how to build a home, in a time when I finished my basement by watching YouTube videos for hours and hours and hours, I sometimes translate that to my to my faith life and my faith family. I, think, okay, I just got to find the right person who knows all the right tips. And then they'll, and I'm like, actually all of you, we all can sit down and go, like, I, I don't have it either. Oh, but how good that Jesus does. When I sit down in my living room, this is not my living room. That'd be nice though. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> my living room look that cool. Uh, when I sit down, we're doing the same thing they did in Rome 2000 years ago. It hasn't changed. We're reminding each other and then we get to encourage each other to remind all the people we encounter that there's really good news, that we don't have to have it together, but there's one who has. There's a story I wanna share here as I uh, end. Um, In February, I love to share um, some stories of just some black heroes that we have in the church. And there's one that his story reminds me of this exact thing, this story of how our our, uh, people in the church encourage one another and how God uses that to do really uh, great things and see more people know. His name is Samuel Morris. His, uh, his original name was Kabu uh, or Kabo. He grew up in Liberia. He was born in 1873. If you notice the dates already, he didn't live 
very long here on earth. Um, he grew up as the son of a, a chief and his, his uh, tribe and a rival tribe were often in battle and war and his tribe often lost. And a few times in his life, he was actually captured as sort of part of the uh, process of losing that battle, that war. They would take the chief's son kind of as a ransom and ask for a ransom and then they'd have to pay them to get him back. So it actually happened a few times in his life. The last time it happened, he was taken and he was actually tortured as a way to try to uh, expedite the process so that his dad would hurry up and pay. And so he was uh, captive by this rival tribe and he was being tortured and hurt. And one night he woke up to a bright light. And then that light led him out of that village, like freed him. Incredible story. It sounds kind of familiar. Actually, we hear uh, in scripture, but this is in, in uh, 1870s, 1880s. He had this moment in the forest where a bright light appeared to him and it freed him. He got, he got out and it led him through the forest. His story is that the um, people were chasing him, but like they had trouble because it was nighttime, but he didn't because this light led him to his freedom. And ultimately in his life, he ended up then leading him to some missionaries who then shared the gospel with him. And through telling stories and reading scripture, he heard the story of Paul. And he said, when I heard the story of Paul and Paul's uh, Jesus appearing to Paul, he said, it, it sounded like my story. And he, and he gave himself to Christ. He said, yes, I surrender. I, I believe life comes in saying yes to Jesus and not yes to me and what I can do. And so Samuel becomes a follower of Jesus uh, as he hears the story of Paul and the light, Jesus appearing to Paul as a great light. Like, what a cool story. That alone would be such an incredible story. Well, he, that isn't enough for him. And he says, I wanna learn more about who Jesus is. I wanna learn more about how this Holy Spirit works in my life. And so Samuel then, he's told, you gotta go to New York City in America that's the only place you could learn about the spirit. That'd be counter to what we're talking about today. But he, they sent him to New York to meet with uh, some people at this cool ministry that's going on. And he gets there and meets and he says, I want to learn about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and they say, that's awesome. That's great. You can stay here with us and learn in this church. And they end up taking him on a little uh, like trip around the city. They think, oh, this boy who's from Africa is, is going to want to see all this great stuff we have. And so they take him on a trip around the city of New York and they show him like all the cool stuff that's in, in New York. And at one point in that trip, he says, hey, this, this is great. Um, are you okay if I pray for us? And so Samuel prays. I love this. It's a very uh, bold and a little bit passive aggressive prayer. He prays then with the people with him. He says, God, would you please tell them that I just want to learn more about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I don't really care to see all this stuff. <laughs> awesome. And then he says, he ends the prayer and they decide to tell him about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, I just think that's so cool uh, that it, that happens. So that happens. He, he uh, is disciple over there and he actually moves uh, and goes to um, Taylor University in Indiana uh, and he's there. So again, he, he dies when he's 20. So this all happens very quickly. He goes to Taylor and there God just uses him. Uh, people meet him and go like, oh, we're gonna meet an African man. This is not long after uh, uh, civil war in, in America. And so there's people who don't wanna be in his presence. There's people who view him as quite foolish. Uh, they view him as less than even a human. 
because, of, uh, because he's a black man and he's from Africa. And there's story after story of people meeting with Samuel and saying, I went there thinking I was gonna tell him so much about Jesus and I left being so encouraged by his great faith in Christ. Isn't that cool? That's exactly what Paul's telling us here. They meet together, encourage one another. And Samuel had this vision. He was gonna learn and be trained and then he was gonna go back to his home and he was gonna tell everyone. He's prayer that he'd see all, everyone in Africa come to know Jesus. Uh, but he actually became sick and died when he was 20 years old. See, that's a very short life. Just a few years he had influence here. But his time with people over and over the stories are that they said, I was so encouraged in my faith that I would leave him going, more people have to know this good news. And so when he died, uh, all these people came to his funeral and they say over a hundred people committed themselves to being trained and going to Africa to become missionaries. They so we're gonna actually continue the work of Samuel. Uh, and they did. And Samuel is considered kind of this great inspiration uh, as a missionary to America from Africa, and then uh, <laughs> encouraging many here to go and bring the good news to those there. What a story of mutually strengthening and encouraging each other. And people who were not hanging out, people who even culturally were saying, you probably shouldn't hang out. There was moments they had to secretly meet with Samuel because people weren't okay with a white person and a black man being in the same room together. And then they'd meet and all those things would fall off and they'd say, oh, all we have is Jesus. And they would encourage one another. And God has used him and many others to, for people to know this good news and this good gospel. Right? What an incredible story. And that's the same story that we get to live in, meeting together. We get to encourage each other in that same way with that same gospel because it's not because like Samuel was a powerful, incredible man. Oh, I wish I lived at that time so I could get a taste of what he had we have that same spirit and that same thing with us and we can mutually establish and encourage each other in the same thing. There's a little sneak peek at next week. This is the next verse that Paul shares. How in the world could that be all we have is the gospel? He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The reason that the gospel is the thing that we gather and encourage each other in is because it is the power of God to save us and save us every day. Every day you wake up and God's gonna save you again by the power of this good news. So friends, as we uh, end here, I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna take some time to worship this good God. I, I want us to be, leave here today reminded that God has given us each other to know him, our firm foundation. And I wanna encourage you to really consider that and what that looks like in your life. We love it, hope. We love that we gather on Sunday to do this every week. This is really why we meet, right? To worship him, to remind ourselves of this good news, this good gospel. This is why we have small groups, why we really encourage people to hop in those communities, but also even just the rest of your day, the rest of your life. Who are those people and how does that work? A few things to consider as we respond to the gospel. Is Jesus your anchor, your foundation? Is he the one who keeps you on firm ground? We're not sliding away or slipping and falling. And maybe consider what icy or sandy gospel you're hearing and believing. What, what thing other than the gospel are you hearing? The good news of Christ who's rescued us and gives us a hope. What are you hearing and, and believing and is actually sandy and icy ground? 
where you feel that. And maybe who helps you hold on to Jesus? Who's the one who helps you discern that in your life? Do you have anyone that can do that and does do that? And the question of who is sliding around us that needs to know there's one that's unwavering. We not only get the opportunity to together here, but we get the opportunity to tell those around us there is hope. And not there's a church called Hope and you should come. There's a hope, right? His name is Jesus. Everyone you meet this week will need to know that there is hope. Because there's one gospel and it's for all people. We all need to hear it. And so who are those people? And how can you start praying? We, we here like to respond in a few ways at Hope. We um, love to sing together to remind ourselves of that. We love to take communion, which for us reminds us Jesus commanded us to do this. It's a way to remember his death and resurrection. The thing he did to make it possible for us to have life in him, the work that Christ has done. And so we do that through communion. It's out in the hallways here on both sides um, for all people. Uh, You don't have to be a a member here at Hope. We just ask you, you follow Jesus as a way just to stop and remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed. Uh, We also do that through prayer. We'll have people in the back of the room who'd love to pray for you. Uh, Please take advantage of that. And you can always always give as a response. You can do that on our website. Let me pray for us as we uh, take some time to respond. Father, you're really good to us. Uh, You have rescued us and made us new. And every day you keep doing that. You keep working on us. You keep following, uh, running after us. You keep loving us, even as we keep slipping and falling away, as we believe false gospels, as we even turn from each other, you still are here. And each day is an opportunity to turn back to you to establish ourselves in you. And Lord, you give us this family to do it with. Such a gift. I pray that uh, we would lean into one another, that we would hold on to one another, that you would uh, give us the humility, the soft hearts that could hear hard words, and that you give us the courage to even say sometimes hard gospel things to one another. But Lord, all so that we can cling to you, that we can be standing on the firm foundation as you that the power of your good news, your gospel would be in us and changing us. And Lord, we wanna see, as Samuel wanted to see, our, our friends and our community and our neighbors and our, our city and state and our country, we wanna see the world know you and know that hope. I pray you'd use us to do that. We love you, Lord. You're so good to us. Amen.